Welcome to The Starfield, a podcast about space and the field of astronomy as seen through the lens of a student. I'm your host, Hannah Marker, an undergraduate at the University of Arizona. When I began my undergrad, I was very intimidated by my professors. I freely admit that I have to work hard to do well in math, and I spent a lot of time agonizing over going to office hours. Asking someone who works on the origin of the universe to re-explain for the third time that day how a Fourier transform works seemed like explicitly asking my professors not only to kick me out of the class, but out of the university. Something I slowly realized though is that generally, professors aren't the antagonist in your undergraduate journey. The best professors are there to help you learn, that's what they're there for. I met professors who have offered me career advice, have helped me navigate grad school and internship applications, and who have taken extra time to help me learn topics that is not their responsibility to teach me. Today, we talk about mentorship and how networking with the smart, experienced people around you can impact your education and your career. Through our three segments, we'll learn about how Dr. Lucy Zuris helped pioneer the field of astrochemistry, how Dr. Impey adds some humor to his office, and what resources are available to undergraduates. As for the details, stay with us. We want to start today by looking at another object in Dr. Chris Impey's office. Dr. Impey is Distinguished Professor of Astronomy and Associate Dean of the College of Science, and his office is full of artifacts from his trips around the world. He's won seven teaching awards from the University of Arizona and taught over 5,000 students. There's also a leg sticking out of one of his filing cabinets. And there's a sort of body part, you know, there's sort of, uh, I replaced the, the pulls on the filing cabinet drawers with, with fingers. So you pull on the finger and the finger with the red fingernail polish and the foot is just adjacent to that. So there's some body part thing going on somewhere there. My, my wife used to say this is a little creepy and she didn't even like to come in here, but you know, there it is. This is my sanctuary. To be clear, it's not a whole leg, just the portion from about halfway down the shin, partially covered in blue pants, and then a bare foot. The skin looks kind of rubbery and slightly dusty, and the leg narrows into the slit of the filing cabinet drawer at the top. It's actually a little hard to see it. It's close to the floor, it's slightly behind the desk. You'd have to lean over or kind of catch it at the right angle when you come in. But at a quick glance, if you're not expecting it, well. It would be startling. But Dr. Impey assures me it's only a little bit of an intimidation tactic. It's intimidation, but mostly really it's not. It's there for levity, so it's just, you know, you have to mess with your students. You can't just be straight up and down if you're a teacher. And so, oh, I don't know, it might be someone comes in with a late assignment with the, the death of one too many grandparents just near final time or one more lame excuse that somehow they think I've never heard even though I've been teaching for 30 years. And I just, you know, I won't point it out in an obvious way, but I'll just make sure they notice, you know, that just, there's a severed body part sitting out of my filing cabinet. So, you know, maybe you want to rethink asking for that extension of your deadline, or maybe, maybe you want to rewrite that part of the paper. I'll give you an extra day and see if you can do a little better on that. So visit your professors. Go to office hours, ask for help. Just be prepared. You never know what you're going to see in their office. We who are studying astronomy right now are very lucky. At this point in time, the field of astronomy is broad. One can pick nearly any topic and find people who are already doing some work in that area. Not so for Dr. Lucy Zuris when she was starting out. 
But when I started, there really wasn't a field of astrochemistry, but I just wanted to study interstellar molecules, and I wanted to have a lab, too, where I could do measurements. I met Dr. Zuri's about five months ago, when the spring semester of courses started. She's teaching, taught, by the time this episode comes out, my upper division astrochemistry course, a requirement to finish my planetary science minor. It's a small group of us, mostly grad students, a few undergrads, and twice a week, Dr. Zuri spends an hour and 15 minutes dazzling us with her knowledge about the chemical makeup of the universe. Even at the beginning of the semester, with my limited knowledge of astrochemistry, it was easy to tell. She's very good at her job. And just like the rest of the faculty I've interviewed for this podcast, she does a lot more than teach. I'm basically an astrochemist which really is a broad kind of term, because what I do is a combination of multiple things. Part of my job, I do radio astronomy, I observe interstellar molecules, I determine the chemical composition of our galaxy, and I also have a laboratory, a rotational spectroscopy laboratory, which I measure the spectral fingerprints of possible interstellar molecules. And the laboratory involves uh, millimeter, submillimeter, and terahertz spectroscopy of unstable species. So we have to make molecules that aren't normally here on Earth, and that's quite a challenge. And I put both of those together, and that's what I do. On a typical day, she works extensively with grad students, both in and out of the lab. They'll discuss their work, the data they obtain, and she'll point them in the right direction if they're having problems. She does her own observing as well, both on-site and remotely from her office. Dr. Zuri's works on papers, particularly with the grad students. They'll do drafts, she'll offer feedback, point them in the right direction, but she'll also write papers on her own. And, of course, she does that integral part of science, writing proposals and trying to get grants so their work can be funded. Monitor the grants that I get, so there's a financial aspect. I have to see how much I spend per month what's left over in the grant, and how I'm going to spend the rest, projecting for when I have to write the next grant proposal in that particular uh, area. And so every day is quite a variety of different things. In other words, around her time working on proposals and her own papers, she spends a lot of her time being a mentor, working with students who are just starting out in the world of astrochemistry. When she was beginning, there wasn't someone in the field of astrochemistry who could do that, because the field of astrochemistry didn't really exist at that point. So when I was an undergraduate at Rice University, I ended up majoring in both chemistry and physics. They didn't have an astronomy degree, but they had a space physics option, so I took astronomy courses as my elective. Dr. Zuris explained to me that she didn't really know what to do next. She had a lot of undergrad research experience doing bench chemistry and astronomy, she did a project with carbon-12 and carbon-13 isotope ratios and really liked it. And I just didn't know which way to go. I didn't know what to go to graduate school in. I wasn't sure if I should do astronomy, if I should do physics, if I should do chemistry. Fortunately, someone came along to point her in the right direction. And when I was a senior, I had the fortune of running into none other than Bob Curl. Dr. Curl won the 1996 Nobel Prize for Chemistry for C60, the nanomaterial consisting of a configuration of 60 carbon molecules and a sort of mesh soccer ball shape. You might have heard it called a buckyball. It's that guy. Who won the Nobel Prize for C60. He was in the chemistry department, and I was telling him my dilemma, and he said, well, you know, they've really started finding interstellar molecules, and, you know, 
maybe you should look some of these papers up. So I ended up looking up the papers and they just started discovering interstellar molecules. Maybe they had seen like 15 to 20. And I was like, wow, this is a really cool field because it combines chemistry, it combines astronomy, it combines physics. I think this is what I want to end up studying. Dr. Zuri's went on to have a complex educational career. She studied for a year in Germany, then West Germany, at the Max Planck Institute, and then went to UC Berkeley doing lab spectroscopy and radio spectroscopy. She postdoced at a radio college observatory, then was hired at Arizona State University in the chemistry department before moving to the U of A. Despite these years of research, she still really enjoys working with students alongside her research, especially students who are just starting off. Well, you know, students, very often they, they ask questions that are quite enlightened and make you think more. And, um, you know, very often they discover things that you might have missed or they had the time to discover things. And um, it's always been very rewarding working with students. Dr. Zuris also believes that finding a mentor is an important or essential part of your career. She might have had a Nobel Prize winner to offer her advice, but not all of us will. Sometimes you have to seek out a mentor yourself, especially, Dr. Zuris points out, if you are a woman in the field. If you're going into these male-dominated fields and you're female, you have to be pretty tough about it because you won't, in many ways and in many instances, you won't get much encouragement. So that's what I say, you have to be inspired and just stick it out. Uh, I'm really sorry to have to say that, but I think that it's it's still tough going for women in these East fields. And um, fortunately, I had a lot of support from other people, but you have to really be strong, and you have to really want to do it. I asked Dr. Zuris if she had any last advice, and she said it's just as important to find someone who can not just mentor you academically, but also offer support. Not only can professors offer you personal insight and guidance, they can also point you towards more resources that can help you navigate your career. Remember, they've been around the block a time or two. They know what you need to learn about. Before we end today, I want to highlight just a few resources which I have been guided to in the last few years that have become essential to my time as an undergraduate. The first is a site called Astrobytes. Astrobytes is a site supported by the American Astronomical Society, AAS, and they build themselves as the Astrophysics Reader's Digest. Written by graduate students, Astrobytes' goal is to make scientific papers accessible to undergrads who might not have the technical knowledge that graduate students do. They post short, five-minute read versions of technical papers several times a week. It's a great way to keep up with what's happening in the field, but also to learn what areas of astronomy and astrophysics you might be interested in to do future research. They also discuss topics like career navigation, timelines for applying to graduate schools, guides for how politics are impacting science, and tips for starting research projects. In addition to Astrobytes, AAS has a great roundup of student resources on their home page. They have both undergrad and graduate info and can point you towards careers, current internships and research opportunities across the country, and links to good online courses in physics and astronomy. Speaking of which, the internet is your friend. Yes, you do have to be careful. Copying answers offline might get you good grades in the short term, but it won't help you learn and it could land you in hot water. But there are tons of sources which are invaluable. There are online textbooks and notes explaining topics of varying levels of complexity. 
lectures from different universities like MIT's Open Courseware or our own Teach Astronomy and Astronomy State-of-the-Art YouTube channels can help you if you need a crash course in a topic or if you just don't work well with the professor's teaching method and need some further explanation. Finally, your friends are one of the best tools you have. They're your first line of defense before you go to office hours. Often, they'll have the same problems or questions you do, and as the saying goes, two heads are better than one. If you miss a day of class, there's someone who can give you notes. Trying to explain a topic to them is a great way to check if you really understand it. And besides, it's always good to have a group of people who will drink a milkshake with you at 2 a.m. on a Tuesday. To paraphrase the Beatles, you'll get by with a little help from your friends. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Starfield. This episode is produced and hosted by me, Hannah Marker, in partnership with Active Galactic Videos, Teach Astronomy, and the University of Arizona. For more information about Active Galactic Videos or this week's space info, check out the links in the podcast description or head to activegalacticvideos.com. Many thanks to Dr. Lucy Zuris for interviewing with us this episode. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a rating and review on iTunes, Spotify, or whatever streaming service you use. Until next time, this is Ben, the Starfield.